Rabbi, good morning, my brother. It is so good to see you on this day. I love waking up on a Friday, and what I get to see is your handsome face. How are you, brother? Uh, you know, you know, you know, Father Anderson. Look, I, 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 I got to be, got to be honest here. This is a hundred and one episode, um, which means that it not only is it a hundred and one hours that we spend together, uh, usually double it or triple it because the amount of time that we spend uh, bringing it together. Look, the fact that we have communicated with one another for over 300 hours, um, I love it. I, I, I'm inspired. I love seeing your face. Um, nothing actually gives me greater pleasure than when you send me cryptic texts. Uh, I love it. I love it. And, and those, 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 those images, those emojis you sent um, really, really make my day. I think what really works for us. Share, love it. Love it. <laughs> Our love of sarcasm really works too. I think that's a big, big piece of what our, but I, besides our Judeo-Christian roots um, um, or Judeo-Christian theology, it's, it's our love of sarcasm. Okay, so what we also love is just being formed and inspired by incredible guests. And we continue this journey of what it really means to follow our loving God. And that journey to follow God, as we know, there's a lot of desert time. And we're in a desert time now during this pandemic where a lot of people might be wondering, where do I turn next? How do, what's this next turn here? And maybe they're people of faith and maybe they're not, but maybe this is a really good time to be listening to that still small voice of God or where, how God is nudging us and moving us and what steps do we need to take even when it's scary, even when it's, it's, it's can feel anxious. There's could be an existential anxiety around it. So we're going to bring on a, a, one, a wonderful woman, a wonderful servant of God, um, Mother Nuria Love Parish. Yes, I said her name is Mother Nuria Love Parish. And she is going to lead us on this journey of how she went from being atheist to Unitarian Universalist, to being an Episcopal priest, to now running a farm and also leading a church and being freaked out all the way through it, but trusting God implicitly and allowing God to really form her and produce a, a wonderful uh, flourishing ministry. Um, and I think that I just checked my phone because I have it on her flight. Her flight just arrived, yes, from um, Zoom airs. So Reverend Nuria, are you at the door? You just got off your flight. How are you? It's just a joy to be here. Well, are, are you are you are you are you ready for this? I, I don't know if you really knew what you're getting yourself into this morning because we found you on Twitter. But are you ready to lead us on your or inspire us with your journey of following God despite crazy circumstances? I have the only journey that I have is one that I am honored to be able to share with your listeners, and I can't wait to begin. And I'm excited um, for what we discover together. All right, everyone, before we do that, this is your time to, to subscribe to this podcast and to share uh, this with one person, you know, who would really get into something like this. Uh, do you know someone right now who's like kind of struggling with purpose and trying to figure out meaning, significance, especially during this type of pandemic? This podcast is going to really speak to that person. So share this link and uh, leave a comment, especially if you think that the rabbi and I are a bunch of bozos and say they're just a bunch of bozos. Do that because then the algorithm says, oh, people like these guys. Even if you write hateful things, you just help us. So we take that from the theology of Cardi B. Even my haters help my algorithm. All right, everyone, let's get ready to rumble on a priest and rabbi. Mother Nuria, are you ready? I'm ready. Rabbi Durbin, are you ready? Born ready. Producer Nine, are you ready? Okay, he got thumbs up or maybe even the, the, the surfer sign. All right, y'all, we're about ready to roll. Let's get ready for another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi.
a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted overallowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Oh, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone out there. This is Father Christian Anderson of a priest, and then next to me is the rabbi. It is the best good-looking rabbi you have seen this side of the Jordan River, the man with the hair, the man with the plan, the man that we like to stand. It is Matthew Durbin, Rabbi Matthew Durbin of Temple Beth Chaim, and it is just so wonderful to be sitting next to you on the Zoom call to adore you, to look at you, and sometimes to make fun of you. How are you this morning, my friend, my colleague, my rabbi? You know, I, I'm doing really well. You know, after after two years of um, uh, of being the the, the best darn looking rabbi, um, uh, you know, of the Jordan River, um, you know, Father Anderson, you're 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 the best looking darn priest east of the river thames yes our um did you, did you get my reference there the river thames the church of england yes yes okay good that's very good and you are you are you went to an anglican school you get it you understand so this is where why god brought us together uh we are two co confident heterosexual men who love to dote on each other our wives don't get jealous it's all it's all good uh today my friend my rabuni uh we got to talk about we were in a time when a lot of us are just asking so many questions of what's next. And we want to know what's next. And we don't know what's next. And we have a lot of time to think about what's next uh, in our life, for our country, for uh, our vocation, for our family. Uh, and there's a lot of anxiety mixed in with that. But as people of faith, if we really get down to the core of who we are as people of faith, we know that it's based upon hope, faith, hope, and love. And so there's hope. There's always God is up to something beautiful and brilliant, even in the midst of the chaos. Um, and, and we're going to bring on a guest today who's going to really help us work through it because she has been on well, an incredible journey and she's done some desert time. She's been the Israelite out in the wilderness following Aaron and Moses and Yahweh to wherever. Um, I, I, how do you feel about this, Rebuni? Do you think? Don't you think that our parishioners and our listeners are going to get into this today? I think that I, I, I think they will. I think um, uh, you know our guest is certainly uh, a special guest that we have, and one whose story is, um, which I hope that our listeners will find um, terribly inspiring, um, uh, incredible wealth of knowledge and experience, and. I'm 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 excited. Let's 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 get this show on the road. Yeah, after this whole thing, after this whole show today, you might want want to just say I'm realized I want to be a plumber and you leave your congregation and you start rabbi plumbing and go on to serve people in their homes and convert them to Judaism through plumbing. Okay. Um, so everyone, uh, listen, before we bring on our, 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 our incredible guest, our, actually our terribly riveting guest, you use terribly into that. So our horrifically amazing guest, uh, I want you to know this is also a podcast. So if you miss the show or if you're like, these two bozos are, are, are just kind of entertaining, I want to know more. 
go to our podcast. You can Google it and just put in a priest and a rabbi podcast. You'll get all the episodes. You can leave comments. You can you tell how horrible we are. Um, we have a webpage that is a priest and a rabbi dot podbean dot com. And you can check out everything. And there you can get all of the priest and rabbi you've ever wanted and give it away as Christmas or Hanukkah presents uh, this week. And it's free. It's free. So, so just the holidays are around the corner. Get them a free gift. And that's a priest and the rabbi. So without further ado, we're going to bring on a, a, um, a very inspiring um, woman who is also a fellow clergy member. Uh, she serves Plain Song Farm and Ministries uh, out in Michigan. Uh, and she has had a, an incredible journey of, uh, of being, well, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I don't know if atheist would be the right word, but let's say without God, uh, and then falling towards the Unitarian Universalist uh, Church, and then to the Episcopal Church, and now running a farm, and a lot of other life stuff that happened in between. She's going to help guide us about how do you trust God while you're in the wilderness. So without further ado, some people call her mother, or you can call her reverend. It is Reverend Nuria Love Parish. Welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi, my sister. It is quite amazing to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm super excited to talk to both of you at the same time, because I think each of you will be able to understand and reflect on the story that we share in a different and beautiful way. So I'm, I'm just excited for this conversation. All right. So before we jump into all of this, uh, we, 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 got, we, we love on this show to parse out just how our different denominations and religions work and different terms that we use. We learn a lot about Judaism. What's the difference between reform and orthodox? What's the difference between Episcopalian and a Catholic and an Anglican? All this stuff. So today we have an awesome opportunity to say to learn about you and a term that's used for female clergy, for some who, who prefer uh, that it you're, because it's all about terms, right? It's all about our titles. That's the only reason why we got into this. Um, at the at, at Plain Song Farm, your community finds comfort in calling. Okay, okay, hold on. I'll, I'm just going to introduce it. There's, go ahead. I serve two. I serve two ministries. One of them is Holy Spirit Episcopal Church. Okay. Where, if you watch, if you watch the video on Zoom, that's my office where I'm sitting today in Belmont, Michigan, just a little north of Grand Rapids, and that's about a third of my time. And then two thirds of my time is Plain Song Farm. So actually, depending on where you are, is what, my, the, what people call me is different. At Holy Spirit Episcopal Church, I'm generally referred to as Mother Nuria, and that's where I kind of have my more normal clergy job. And at Plain Song Farm, I'm just Nuria, and um, that's where I have my less normal clergy job. Gotcha. And so, in some ways, you could be you. Would you refer to yourself as a bivocational priest? I would, in fact, refer to myself as a bivocational priest. Oh, that's so exciting. This is so awesome. There's so much to dig into on the show. All right. So tell us how, what is one of the terms? Some people call you mother. Some people refer to me as father, Father Christian, um, but folks refer to you as mother. So tell, can you parse that out for us? Because as Rabbi said during a pre-production call, uh, when he say when he hears that, he thinks the Blessed Virgin, well, he didn't say the Blessed Virgin Mary, but he thinks of Mary, the mother of, the mother of Jesus. Well, women were not ordained in the Episcopal Church until 1977, and by that time, there was a long tradition of male clergy with uh, being referred to with respect and reverence as father. And to be a female clergy person in the Episcopal Church is to go through some quandary around, well, what's, what am I supposed to be called? Uh, when I was ordained in the Episcopal Church, which was my second ordination, which we'll talk about later, um, I was serving in a congregation with a wonderful uh, senior 
um, clergy person who had served there for more than two decades and was known by everyone as Father, Father Mike, loved Father Mike. And everyone loved Father Mike. And I became the ordained associate and went, I think I probably need to be Mother Nuria in order to be in a relationship of relative equity as a clergy person in this context. And so, and that's pretty normal in my world, in my diocese, which is the region of my church, um, is for women to be known, women clergy to be known as mother, male clergy to be known as father. That's kind of our normal. And that's mm -hmm. not true everywhere in the Episcopal Church, it's just true in the Diocese of Western Michigan where I serve. Yeah, context is everything. Okay, so let's jump in. So, so, so um, just Here to go comes. back. Here it comes. A little bit. Um, you had mentioned before that that this was your second ordination. True. What was what was the first, and how did that come about? I mean, what what you know, growing up, were you always inspired by religion, and it led to this depth of needing to learn more? I mean, how did that how did that come about? Uh, so as a child, I was not raised in any religion. Um, I visited a church once with my grandparents while I was visiting them when I was a little person. And all I remember about that experience is that I had absolutely no comprehension of why people were doing this. What was it? Why were they doing it? Why were they all in this building? Why were they looking up front? Why were they all singing the same thing? I just, it just went right past me. Like it didn't make any sense. And I kind of promptly forgot about it. So no, um, I was raised um, not nothing, and um, it's been quite a journey to get to where I am. First, my first ordination was in the Unitarian Universalist Association, and uh, I was served uh, as a Unitarian Universalist minister for uh, ten years. And and there's yeah, I, I I'm like I'm your guest. I could just keep going, but I want to follow your questions. So I think I answered your question. Okay, so so we 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 because part of the, our big part of our show is how do we follow God's call and how do we trust in God's direction in our life, especially during times when we really feel like we're just out in the desert, which is a Judeo-Christian reference to the Israelites out in the desert during um, Exodus times. So for you, take us back. So you were raised without really religion, right? And and so how did you get to the part of saying I want to be a Unitarian Universalist? What was that time like beforehand? Were you just like running around, just like, I don't care about religion? Or were you like a Wiccan and like hugging trees? Like what, what, what was going on? You know, I, I still was, I wasn't raised with any religion, but I had a lot of existential questions, which I think we can relate to in 2020 particularly. Um, so I was raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I was there because my father was a professor at the university. So it was just me. I was an only child, my mom and my dad, and we lived in a nice little suburban home. Um, I'm 49 years old. So your listeners should imagine the 1970s in Las Vegas. And in the 1970s in Las Vegas, it wasn't built up like it is now. There was still a lot of desert um, as we drove around Las Vegas, Nevada. And as a young person, I remember playing in my front yard as young people do, um, I was by myself being an only child. And I just remember looking down and realizing that there was grass under my feet and, and having this like, this doesn't make sense kind of feeling. Like, this is the desert. I see it everywhere, but it's not in my front lawn. And this isn't, this doesn't seem like it's going to work forever. Like, this isn't going to work in another, might work right now. Like, it, 
it might work right now, but it's not going to work in the long run for people to live here the way they live right now. And I remember as a young child thinking to myself at that point, two things like, well, maybe three, you know, you always have to have three things when you're a clergy person. Um, I remember thinking, why did the adults think this was a good idea? Like, I remember thinking, how am I going to get out of here? <laughs> and I remember thinking, is it just a problem here or is this a bigger problem? Is me having grass in the desert just a little problem that's confined to my front yard or is it connected to something that's bigger that I don't understand yet? Because I think I had these thoughts when I was, I certainly wasn't in middle school yet. So, so I think I, your I, memoir is going to be called Grass in the Desert. <laughs> that would be a good name. Uh -huh. So I okay, have so all those existential questions I think have driven me ever since. So, so take us to now, you, you, you're, you're growing up and God is, is working on you. You might not be aware of it, but what you hit your own personal desert time as well, where you're just figuring out. And did you have some times where during this existential, did, did your existential journey ever turn into like an existential crisis? Oh, I certainly went through times of existential crisis, um, uh, identity crisis, uh, vocational crisis. You want to name the crisis? I have totally had that crisis. <laughs> um, so I'm just grateful to have gotten to this point in my life and be able to look back on them and have them inform where I sit today in 2020. Um, I think we talked, one of the reasons that, one of the things I said in the early, uh, when we were in pre-production times, was the reality that um, my father's family and my mother's family come from very different backgrounds. And my father wasn't honest with me about his family background when I was a child. He passed away when I was 17. And when I was 19, I found out that he and his family had left Europe because of the Holocaust. By the time I discovered that, I, was, I, had, I had already become a Unitarian Universalist. And I had already felt a call to ministry in the Unitarian Universalist Association. And it was a profound call to ministry. Like I went to church for the first time out of curiosity, just wondering what was this religion thing that people did? Like right. seriously, it was a research experience. And I went, sat down, minister came out to start the service. And I, it was like a two by four, a steel beam or whatever fell on my head. And, I, and it was like, that's what you're going to do someday. Like mm. there was no ambiguity. Yeah. You know, um, I thought that was normal at that point. Well, oh, this, I've heard that God worked this way, this being called God that I didn't actually believe in or understand, but had heard of. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I, that's how I heard that worked. I guess it's true because it seems to have happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, when when you made the shift after 10 years of serving communities and community, what was that process like from going from a universalistic, uh, you know, uh, Unitarian kind of um, um, understanding and training uh, to go to the Episcopal Church? I mean, was it was it a major shift? Was it a theological challenge? What? I don't think I can answer that without doing more going back to that moment. So when I was first called to ministry in the Unitarian Universalist Association, 
that was before I knew that I had a, any Jewish heritage in my family. Then I found out about that Jewish heritage, and I immediately was like, I can't be a Unitarian Universalist minister. I, I what what's I have to understand Judaism. I have to understand this part of who I am. And I don't understand anything about it because nothing about it was passed on to me. So my father's family went from Europe to Argentina. And then my father was the only person who came to America. And so I didn't have connections with that whole side of the family. And so my vicarious trying to understand that heritage, I mean, I have a shelf of books that's about trying to understand this heritage, but then I also worshiped with the Reformed Synagogue for about two years. And in that world, I, I got accustomed, I was walking into that Reformed Synagogue, I got accustomed to ideas of like, they hand you a book when you walk in <laughs> and there are prayers that you pray and you pray them the same way every week. And you, and you inherit things from your ancestors that are the spiritual wisdom that has sustained them. And whether or not you understand it, it's going to sustain you. And I, uh, but I'm, uh, after two years worshiping with and being part of and trying to find a home in the Jewish community, two things happened. One thing um, is at that time, it was kind of the cultural norm that your mother really had to be Jewish. Like, I think that's maybe shifted more in 2020, but it's 19, I'm talking like, this is 1990, right? So my mother was not Jewish in any way, shape or form. And so I couldn't make a home for myself in the Jewish community without going through a conversion process. And, and I didn't feel that that was true for who I was. And it was just very hard to feel at home there with that ambiguity. And the other thing is I missed talking about Jesus, which was kind of weird because I had never really talked about Jesus, but I discovered that I wanted to. <laughs> um, and that's just not an interesting conversation in the Jewish world, talking about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, as Rabbi has said that before, well, I think in one of our first episodes, I said, so what, what do you all think about Jesus, Jesus Christ, you know, at the temple? And he goes, we don't. It's, it's, it's just ambiguous. It's, it's not like there's anything negative or bad. It's just Nope, doesn't even come up. Doesn't even come up. And and to me, I think um, I I was hungry for that conversation about Jesus at that point. So I went to seminary. I went back to the Unitarian Universal Association, and I went to seminary. And going through seminary, I found the Christians in the Unitarian Universalist Association who had a very um, critical thinking, open-minded, all questions are welcome approach to Christianity. And I have to say. I shouldn't have had to go to seminary to discover Christians like that, hmm. but I did. I had to go to seminary to discover Christians like that. And after going to seminary and discovering Christians like that, I, I came to the point of realizing that I needed the wisdom from that tradition for me. Like life is too hard to go through without the wisdom of a tradition of faith and hope and promise and prayer and community and a community that extends past your lifetime. Mm. So um, I was baptized my last year of seminary wow. and that, um, and then I was sent to Michigan to start a Christian church in the Unitarian Universalist system. And then I served that church in another congregation. And after those two congregations that I served, I realized that I was not yet in my home. Because in the Unitarian Universalist Association, it's kind of ambiguous as to whether it's really okay to be a Christian. Um, and I needed a community where that was really centered around Jesus at that point. 
in order for me to feel like me and in order for me to feel like I was following what God was calling me to do. And so I left the Unitarian Universalist Association, went through another four-year ordination process and became an Episcopal priest in 2011. Now, why the Episcopal Church? Why was that the, when you were searching and seeking, like, I need a very, I don't want to say Christocentric, but just like, I, I need something that's really okay with this whole Christian thing. Why not Methodism? Why not Presbyterianism? Or, you know, take your pick. You know, I think for me, it was a combination of the wisdom that had sustained me so far and the people that had provided it. So all the way back when I was in high school, Madeline Lengel was the person whose writing sustained and guided me. And I discovered her, I don't know if either of you would know Madeline Lengel. Um, she wrote a book called A Wrinkle in Time that turned oh. a movie. Yeah. So with and, Oprah? Yeah. What's that? Was it Oprah in that? I have no idea. I never watched the movie. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, Madeline Lengel is a lay was a layperson in the Episcopal Church, and she was a fiction author, a young adult fiction author. And um, she was very meaningful to me. And there were a number of other people whose writing had been very meaningful to me in kind of trying to put together my spiritual journey. And when I looked at a lot of them were Episcopalians. And that made me go, well, maybe this is a safe place for me. Maybe this is a place where I can ask my questions honestly. I can worship God with reverence. And my soul will actually be changed so that I can be a better person. Hmm. That is the key, sister, right there, that we, at a lot of times in our respective communities of worship, do a poor job of communicating. My, my soul will be better for it. I will be changed. My soul will be changed. We talk about a lot of the other stuff. We talk about community. All those good things is good, right? The teachings, uh, but, but, but our good coffee hour. <laughs> but the, the, my soul will be changed. And people, especially right now, of saying there is change happening, or I just feel stagnant. I'm just quarantined, sheltered, doing jack poo. But we have this faith that's just saying, "Come for a change." So, well, I can't see. I can't say the other thing, Jack. I mean, I like Jack poo. I'll be stealing that from you. Yeah, I'm a father now. I got a you know six month old, so soon I'll, I'll be saying poo all the time. Uh, okay, so this is fascinating, and I think before we we head off to the next stage of your uh, uh, of life journey, uh, which will happen after the break. Um, can you explain to our listeners, there's a big, a lot of people be like, I don't even know what Unitarian Universalist means. And I don't know what the difference is between that and like a full flood, full blooded Christian. So can you explain what, what is it? Why would you being a Christian or really want to focus on Christianity might be a, not a conflict, but might not jive with you being a Unitarian minister? So when I first walked into that Unitarian Universalist congregation, it was because the Unitarian Universalists didn't have a clear creedal statement of theological belief. It was a community that was centered on trying to live ethically in a complex world and draw wisdom from all world traditions. And when I was 19, I had no theological beliefs. And so this was the only safe place that I could try out church um, that I thought would welcome me. And then the, the unit and the tradition is that way um, for lots of historical reasons. And it is a blessing for people that are struggling religiously and want to draw, draw wisdom from many places. But what I discovered over time is when you've honed in, if you hone in on one path, then that becomes challenging because it's hard to both be drawn wisdom from many places right. and honed in on one path. 
So that was my challenge. And can you just real quickly describe the difference between what like a Unitarian, uni, as opposed to Christians would say they're Trina, Trinitarian. And, and I know this is like show and tell, hey, well, teacher Nuria, teach us. But I think this would be, a lot of people love that on the on this show to learn about these I, things. I love religion talking. I love talking about religion. Um, the Unitarian, it's actually a Christian heresy. Um, the idea that Jesus was not the full embodiment of God, but was instead a great teacher. So that's the Unitarian concept, that there's only one God and Jesus wasn't God, but he's still worth listening to. Um, and then the universalist heresy was that all people, regardless of anything that they ever do, are, are welcomed into heaven. So those two heresies um, arose in the 1800s. And when I say heresy, I speak from where I am today. Um, that is, it's not meant to cast dispersion uh, because I know those are meaningful beliefs to some. Um, they're not meaningful beliefs to me anymore. But that I don't want to throw the person under the bus that I used to be either. No, that's cool. I'm used to the, you know, the, the, the rabbi throwing me under the bus. So we're, we're all good with that. So then when you got to, so now uh, with the Christian church, uh, there's this belief in a Trinitarian. Try. And what does that mean? So God is made known to us as creator, redeemer, and sustainer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, God is um, three and one and one and three, and we don't have enough time to talk about the mystery of all that. Well, yes, but there you go, y'all. The fast and dirty of what it means to be a Unitarian as opposed to a Trinitarian. That was your fun theological fact today. And on that note, we're going to take a little break so y'all can like enjoy that. And, and, and we're going to allow Miss Nuria Parish, Mother Nuria, to catch her breath. And the rabbi and I are going to go uh, share a hookah. And when we come back, we are going to jump into further of you know, how then does Reverend Nuria get to being a farmer and uh, how, what does this mean to farmer all of us? Adjacent. a farmer adjacent but what does that mean for all of us about all of us on our own journey where we might be confused or just figuring out what's next especially during this time of the pandemic we are just sitting at the feet today of mother nuria and we can't wait to come back and continue this journey right now you're going to hear from all the people who allow this to be possible for us to get awesome people like reverend nuria who cost us about i don't know about a quarter of a million dollars to get her here so all right all that's happening in just a couple minutes stay tuned You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a 
uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian, and you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode, and it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time and you can call the church at 772-287-3244 we also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis they are not counselors they are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Right, part two of a priest and a rabbi here uh, on 1450 AM in Stewart, Florida. Uh, but for everyone around the country and around the world who's tuning in, especially all those friends in Yemen, if you go on our podcast, you will see that we have a fan base in Yemen. So I can't wait till we go there and have the red carpet rolled out because right now we walk around our own hometown and people have no idea who we are. And we only do this for the notoriety. All right. So we're pretty big in Japan. We got Japanese folks now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in, we're in, I think over 50, 55 countries. This is just like, it's, it's blowing up left and right guys. Catch us when you can, because soon we will just be too big and we don't want to forget about the you know little people. We want to stay humble because we're just a bunch of idiots here. But someone who's not an idiot is Mother uh, Nuria, who's here with us today, who's keeping us straight. And she is grooming us or uh, allowing us to understand what does it really mean to follow God's call when things sometimes don't make sense. And in the first half of the show, we heard from Mother Nuria, who's from Holy Spirit Church in Michigan and also uh, a plain song farms, is this theme of really having wonderment towards God or the divine or this magic what if. What I've been hearing in the first half is Mother Nuria is always like this, what if? Like, what if there's something greater? What if there's something bigger? And let me be curious about that. Let me just stumble into this Unitarian church and listen. What if there's something more than that? What if there's this Episcopal church? And now we're going to learn about this next step. What if farms? Um, and she obeyed it and she listened to it even when it was confusing. And so that is a lesson for all of us that during these times, if you feel this nudge, whether that's just an existential nudge, whether you feel like it's God doing it, Jesus, whomever, for you to listen and obey that and not not walk into fear, but walk into trust and wonderment. Uh, so my colleague, uh, Mother Nuria, tell us how you got from, you go to the, Episcopal, the whole Episcopal process, 
You went from Unitarian, you went from atheist to Unitarian to Episcopalian, minister, priest, mother. How did you get to be becoming co-founder of the farm? Yeah, so that is a story that is actually, it was terrifying. Okay. So I think that's the most important thing that I can say is actually it was terrifying, but I was used to being scared. Hmm. Um, because? It was everything that you just talked about. Like it was scary to go to a church in that Unitarian Universalist church when I didn't know what any of the rules were. And it was scary to become a Christian when I knew I didn't have a background as a Christian. Um, it was scary to get baptized. Getting baptized was terrifying. You're, you die as oneself and you're raised again as a new self. That's pretty scary. Um, and I think I was able to lean into the fear of co-founding this farm because I was used to being scared following God. And I, this is not anything that probably anybody wants to hear, but if you're actually following God, you're going to be scared. Mm. Um, and the challenge is to go anyway, because scare, you know, the, and the challenge is to discern. I'm not even answering your question. I'm sorry. I'm going to come back. I promise. The challenge oh. is to discern, like, is this a, is this fear that I have because God is at work in my life, asking me to do something that I don't understand and can't control? Because that's how God is. God is bigger than we are. And God is, God does ask us to do things we can't understand and can't control. And, and then we have choices to make about whether we say yes. So by the time the farm happened, um, I had been feeling like God was calling this place that I lived to become a farm that was for God uh, for a long time. And any idea why? What's that? Any idea why? That just because you go back to that grass in the desert problem. Okay. It was that, you know, human beings have been spiritually dislocated through the consequences of the lie of white supremacy in the 1500s and the legacy of settler colonialism in the 1800s. I, as a European, a descendant of Europeans, British and European people, I'm spiritually dislocated. And I'm ecologically dislocated. Those two things are connected. Mm. Grass in the desert in Las Vegas is because of spiritual and ecological dislocation. And that spiritual and ecological dislocation is connected to people many generations ago doing what they thought was the right thing to do at the time and not seeing fully the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, a farm, like the, the white supremacies, you know, that was an actual uh, like empire backed strategy. It was wrong and it was supported by Christians and carried out by Christians. I say that as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a farm, I, 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 this is me analyzing it. I didn't understand any of this when I was doing it. I just did it without knowing what I was doing. Um, But now that we've been at it for five years, which is really not that long, um, now that I've been doing it for five years, I'm starting to see from the people who come to the farm that somehow it's a place where they can reorient to God and to their place in creation in a way that hopefully maybe generations from now will bring more healing than to to the damage 
that has was done by unintentionally in the past. How do you make that? Because that's a uh, for, your understanding of why you do what you do, philosophically, theologically, spiritually, is profound. Um, and I, I, I pray that we all as clergy can have that amount of depth in why we do what we do. You, it is so personal to you and, and the reason why you do what you do. Um, I've and learned this, from some amazing people. Like I wouldn't be sitting here saying these things without the work of Willie James Jennings, without the work of Chad Myers, without the work of Fred Bonson. Like I, I mean, I, I could go on without the work of Robin Wall Kimmerer. I, I didn't come up with this. <laughs> is the, is the, was the intent of, of, of starting up the farm in terms of, um, being able to have produce and food at a reasonable cost that was uh, brought and 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 you know the land was tilled so that people can come together eat nutritious and healthy food um um through through togetherness i mean that's how i mean that's what happened <laughs> so but i think that is the my co-founders Mike and Bethany Edwardson, without whom there would be no Plain Song Farm. Um, I think that was the heart that they brought, and that is the work that they did. Um, they, Mike, you, I am so grateful. I have video from year one of the farm, and the heart that Mike. Sorry, I don't want to cry on this radio show. You wouldn't be the. You wouldn't be the. You wouldn't be the last one. I mean, you would the first. You wouldn't be the first. The video of Mike uh, taking that land that was neglected because it was the land that I had personally lived on. And I wasn't a farmer, and turning it into what Plains Hung Farm is now, and my and Bethany welcoming people and having it be a place of hospitality, and in both of them, and the, the love and care that they put into Plains Hung Farm. Mm. Um, that and the health that people have received getting the vegetables and being able to come to the place and share the meals, none of which we can do now during a pandemic. I mean, we're still growing food and we're still um, ha having it go out in our community support agriculture shares and having it go to people who can't afford it through pantries. We're doing all of that. But um, for me, I, I only started Plain Song Farm because God wouldn't let me not do it. Hmm. And I say that because it was, a, I got to a point where every time I prayed, God said, Plain Song Farm. And I realized that I had two choices, one of which was to get to the end of my life and die and face God and not have tried to do the mm. thing that I was being called to do. Wow. And wow. The, the name itself, Plain Song, I mean, where does that, where does that come from? Is, is it something... You know um, that was named just had personal meaning, or is there a larger context for it? Plain song is from the Benedictine tradition. So, in Christian spirituality, um, in the years after Christianity became a religion of empire, so we're talking like a long time ago, three hundreds, um, there was a movement away by some Christians to the desert to have a different experience of faith that wasn't so wielded, so tied to power. And out of that desert tradition came what we call monastic, the monastic world, like monks and nuns. And one of the strands in that is, um, was founded by St. Benedict. I mean, he was just a guy called Benedict at the time. Um, and he wrote a rule and he gathered a community around him that, and that tradition persists to this day. And one of the core aspects of it is a practice of prayer 
um, of singing the songs that's called plain song. So if you, if you, in the, which is another reason that I love the Episcopal church is sometimes we just do this like it's normal on Sunday, just mm. a normal Sunday, we'll engage in plain song and um, it's chanting. It's just a form of chanted prayer. Right. But the other thing that I loved about Benedict and his form in his tradition is that it's uh, one of the vows that amongst, amongst nuns taken that tradition is a vow of stability. So you just, if you take a vow of stability as a Benedictine, you promise that you're going to live, it is your intent to live in the place where you live, on the land that you live with the people that you live with for mm. the rest of your life. Dang. So mm. you're, you're playing song or bust. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not actually technically a Benedictine, but that was the inspiration for the name. Sure. Has there been, has there been, um, you know, with, with the farm and, and, you know, its ability to, you know, join in with the CSA and to be able to, you know, to get the produce and to get the stuff in terms of, you know, almost, almost shifting towards um, like a biblical understanding in terms of when the food and the produce is there, anything that, you know, falls onto the ground that can be gleaned from others, you know, has that, has that ever worked into its, its mentality or is it, had, has that ever worked before? Um, I, we haven't had a gleaning program, uh, but that doesn't mean that it isn't what we do isn't biblical, I guess is why I'm like, my hope is that we help people see the Bible in a new way because of their experiences on the farm. So we do farm-based education is one of the programs that we have, and we can do that for public schools with no religious content whatsoever. And we also can do it for Christian groups. I mean, we could do it for Jewish groups too, but none have ever asked, but we'd love to have them. Um, we have done it for an interfaith youth group. So that, you know, that is one of the things that we do. And when I talk about the farm, one of the things I often talk about is the parables of Jesus, which are often agricultural parables. That's so right. we talk about vine and branches. Um, the sower goes out to sow. What kind of soil is it? Most people have no direct experience anymore of what Jesus is talking about in those parables. And so they become kind of like, oh, theoretical, irrelevant things that somebody said a long time ago. When you actually connect them to a real farm and a real agricultural experience, they show you things that you wouldn't otherwise see. And I learned this from the Jewish tradition. I learned this from an organization called Chazon, which has a farm um, in Connecticut called Adama. And I learned about Hazon and Adama Farm reading a book called Soil and Sacrament by Fred Monson in 2013. And that was the first time I had a sense of vision for what God has, was calling me to do, um, creating Plain Song Farm, was that the Christian world needed something like Adama. And I, who had been looking for that, I hadn't found it yet. And so that's when I started to go, maybe this is my, this is the call that God's given me. Because I, I see the need for something that I can create or begin to create. I sure couldn't create it myself. And I, that have, I have to do that. If that's the gift that God has given me and the call that God has given me, and the only thing holding me back is fear, yeah. then I can't let my fear control me. And I have to step out, even though I'm afraid. Yo, Mother Nuria. All right. So this this is just so inspiring for us all right now. Uh, we get confronted with this a lot in our lives that there's the safe way and the comfortable way 
and in a way, a kind of a stable way, I say that's probably different than what uh, St. Benedict was talking about, which is easy to fall into. And especially maybe now, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a job, um, that like, let's just, just do stay right here in this box. But perhaps there is a nudge that's happening for something different that looks very different. And maybe you're just being forced to look at things different now in life uh, because the pandemic has taken away your business, taken away your vocation, removed the amount of hours you can normally book or bill. Or, or It's just everything's been thrown up in the air. So then there are always, as people of faith, we do see that there's, there's God is always up to something and creating something beautiful. He can rain quail down in the wilderness upon you. He can make water pour out of a rock. Um, what is... And when I hear from you is that you had ears to hear, um, as the Bible says, you had ears to hear and you heard the words and you followed them. And then when it freaked you out, you didn't allow that to, I mean, it might've freaked you out, but you didn't run the other way. And you trusted this source, whether it was just a, a higher power, then you could say God, now you can say your relationship with Jesus, whatever you trusted. And what are your, I guess, what are your words of advice to someone right now who really feels a little dislocated, maybe a lot dislocated spiritually. Uh, and, and maybe just like, I don't know what's next right now. And I have responsibilities as a family member and I need to take care of my family. And um, they're really worried about this, this pandemic. They're worried about our country. They don't know if this person once becomes president or gets reelected. They were like, our whole world's going to hell. Um, how, what is your advice to someone to trust in God's sovereignty or trust to how God is so much bigger than all of this and he's always up to something good. I think that's good advice that you just gave, but I would say to breathe because we hear in Genesis that God makes us from the soil of the earth and breathes into us the breath of life. And I, when, I continually remember that breathing well, Rabbi Heschel said it well, just to be alive, just to be as a gift, just to be alive as a blessing. I'm quoting this terrible. Rabbi, do you know the quote I'm talking about? Uh, to be is holy um, and, and, and about a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to, just to be alive is holy, just to, just to exist is a blessing. And, and I, I pray for myself and for especially my country as we go into this, as we're in this it's election season, unlike any I've ever experienced that we can be mindful of the breath that we hold in common, that we hold it in common with each other and we hold it in common with the earth and we hold it in common with the trees. And we are, if God made that, we didn't make it. And it unites us. And if we can be mindful of that, then we can go forward trying to serve God instead of trying to serve our own egos, instead of trying to serve our own sense of safety. Instead of following temptation to all, pray to all the temptations that um, we read about in the gospel according to Luke. So I would say breathe and take one step. Everything that has happened at Plain Song Farm has just been what's the one next faithful step? And I learned that from the Reverend Dr. Matthew Wesley Williams. What is the next small faithful step to take? And you, you, you sound because you've referenced a lot of books and you're also are clearly very intelligent, but you sound like you do the work you, you God is pushing you somewhere, but you are going to 
get your mentors, whether they're from a book or whether in person, you said, okay, God is pushing me in this direction. I'm free. I don't even know how to do any of this, but I'm going to read up on this and I'm going to be have people like Rabbi Heschel be a mentor to me and guide me. And so we, we can't get lazy, right? We have, we can't just expect God just to throw the answer in our lap. He's going to nudge you, but he likes us to be a part and active in, in, in the, in this, in this work and for us to be formed. So what, where, where is God nudging you and pushing you? And then what is the work you need to do to learn more? Uh, the, the people you need to engage with, the fellowship you need to have, the books you need to read, uh, the scripture. And then you said an important part, the prayer. You, you came to prayer. God, lead me prayerfully. What's the next step for plain song? You didn't just go out there and just start to say, well, God's with me. And you start throwing stuff around. You were deeply in prayer. So he was really guiding you because I'm sure... Was there a part? You're, was there a point where you're like, really, God? All, all the time. Are you kidding? But you know, here's the thing. I have discovered, and I don't. I still don't trust. So this is my confession of sin. I still don't trust. I still go. I don't think this is going to work. And then God, but I'm going to. But I'm going to keep trying. You know. And that's. I didn't even tell you the story about having the experience of telling God I couldn't start playing song farm. That that's a whole other story. We don't have time for that. But, but you try to get out. You, you were oh, like Jonah oh. and you ran to the ship and like, just get me out we of could, here. We could, we could use the equation like Moses, right? I, I mean, when God calls no, Moses. Not like Moses because Moses succeeded. <laughs> um, but but I was, it, that's where I felt a lot of comfort from the tradition. There was so much comfort in the tradition of knowing people always feel like they can't do the thing. I, every day, I still feel like I can't do the thing. Hmm. Mm. And what gives you strength? What gives you strength? Um, you know, to to wake up every morning, yeah. refreshed, renewed, inspired to to keep you know keep 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 doing the 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 fight, the 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 ability to provide and give people you know nourishment. What 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 inspires you, and what gets you up in the morning? Um, it is the communities that I belong to, and the God that leads me. No, not in that order. <laughs> Um, I, I know that, I know that every day I have to try to do what God is, has told, what it's leading me to do. And, and I'm going to get it wrong. And then I'm going to try again and I'll try to do it better the next time. Hmm. And I, God has brought so many amazing people into this ministry and I can't let them down. And when I say that, I mean, my co-founders without, you know, like, I can't let them down. Um, I mean, our core team of volunteers and leaders and staff. I mean, the donors that have people have, we have no funding that we don't raise. So I, that's, I, I didn't say that, but we have no funding that we don't raise at Plain Song Farm. Mm. And so the fact that and we've been around for five years and we have, I think, 236 people that have ever given us money over that five years. I can't let them down. Mm. I also have learned as they've written to me that what we are doing matters to them. Wow. And so we have to try to keep doing it because apparently it's making a difference. Yeah. That's encouragement when you know that's changing lives. Listen, so there's so many, we said during the break, so many avenues that you presented that we would have loved to go down those avenues, but we want to just stay the course because we just have one show. Um, but listen, if people want to learn more about the great work that's happening at Plainstone Farms, the good people um, at the church that you serve, Holy Spirit, 
Holy Spirit Episcopal Church in Belmont, Michigan. Right. Can you can you tell us so for either one, and there might be a lot of people just want to track you and what you're up to and hear more of your voice. because uh, <laughs> you're on Twitter and that's how I found you. Uh, how can people find you and support Plain Song Farms? So Plainsong Farm has a website. We did it in year one. So it's a .com, even though we're a nonprofit. We are actually an entity of the Episcopal Church, which consistently surprises the Episcopal Church, but I'm here for that. Um, so we are under the Episcopal Church's group tax exemption as a tax exempt nonprofit. And we have a donate button prominently displayed on our website main page because every gift we receive enables the work to continue. And, uh, and then we're... Plain Song Farm is still, we're going to start to book group visits again for 2021, probably sometime in January. And in January, we'll be doing, I have Michigan listeners, we'll be doing our CSA sales and um, we'll be doing our food donation and we'll be all that. So you sign up for our newsletter. That's what I should be saying. Sign up for our newsletter. It's on the front page of plainsongfarm.com. And then at Holy Spirit Episcopal Church, um, that church, we have, we are broadcasting every Sunday um, because this church, which is is just as full of the presence of God and the miracles of God as the farm, which is also astonishing. Um, it has like, what, maybe 40 people on the, on a sun, 40 to 50 people on a Sunday before the pandemic. And yet we have, we broadcast on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and so that's happening. Um, and, and we also just reopened our numbers for the um, coronavirus here are not awesome. Um, so we're, but we're planning to be open first and third Sunday, reservations required, um, and social distancing and masks required. Um, so, but in-person worship is available. This is awesome. And also people have got to find you on Twitter. Can, is that okay? Can we, can we plug that? What are you, are you re- re- but, Yeah, but I, I never think I'm in Well, if you want to go just Reb Nuria, <laughs> go, go check it out. So Reb Nuria, thank you so much. Mother Nuria. Uh, and it has been just a joy. And also your Judeo-Christian background just fit so wonderfully into the show. It was meant to be. And, it was a pleasure to be with both of you. And thank you. I'm so honored that you invited me. No, we, we, we've been inspired. And, I'm, and I know that everyone who listened to this has been inspired. Guys, check out our podcast. If you missed this episode, go to a apriestandarabbi.podbean.com or just Google a priest and a rabbi. And when you see the best looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River, you know you found the right a priest and a rabbi podcast. God bless you all. We'll see you here next Friday with another riveting guest. But you have to go to our Facebook page to find out who that is. All that's coming to you next Friday here on A Priest and a Rabbi. God bless you. Go save the world.